Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Matthew E. Souza demonstrates that in certain respects, John's doctrine of salvation fails to align with its customary depiction in Johannine scholarship. Souza suggests that, according to John, the human predicament is not merely unbelief or lack of mental perception, and Jesus' mission consists not merely of revelation and or a purely forensic atonement. Rather, Jesus is, for John the one who makes true and everlasting life an accomplished fact for humanity. And in doing so, Jesus reveals the true nature of the predicament from which he saves. Souza argues that salvation in the Gospel of John concerns ethics and the quality or condition of human corporality. The matters of sin and death in particular also make clear that, according to John, the human predicament is a reality that in various ways persists for believers as they both are and become children of God. Souza thus concludes that salvation for John consists of far more than the emergence of belief in a moment of decision. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Biblical Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Jonathan Wright, your host. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Matthew Souza about his new book, Sin, the Human Predicament, and Salvation in the Gospel of John. Dr. Souza is Adjunct Assistant Professor of New Testament at Fuller Theological Seminary, while also teaching high school Bible and theology at Linfield Christian School. Dr. Souza, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. Well, I I wonder if we could begin this interview maybe by you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in biblical studies. Yeah, so um, I grew up in a in a Christian family in a Christian home, going to church, and um, I think as I uh, probably in high school and then on into college, I, I started attending junior college right out of high school. And I was planning on pursuing graphic design, actually, but I started to uh, become curious about and really interested in theology, Christian theology, and, and how to go about reading the Bible. And um, so much so that I, I started to feel led to pursue that, pursue that more, um, to make that my, my focus, and also to use that as a way to teach others about the Bible and what it means to uh, as for Christians to follow Jesus and to um, uh, what it means to what the Christian life looks like. Hmm. And so that became, I felt led to do that again in uh, high school and then early college. And so that led me to, to change my majors. I transferred to uh, from my community college to Azusa Pacific University in Azusa, California. And I, I did a um, bachelor's degree in biblical studies and then just went on from there to, uh, to Fuller for my MDiv and then PhD there, and uh, never really looked back. Just um, uh, loving the vocation of learning about and teaching others about the Bible and the Christian life, what it means to follow Jesus. Yeah, that's amazing, and that's such a long but dedicated uh, journey in biblical studies. 
So this book is really the edited version of your dissertation, um, particularly on Johannine scholarship. And so let, let's just begin talking about the contents. How does Johannine scholarship tend to construct the topic which a lot of this book is covering, soteriology? And how does your work in, in this book critique it? Yeah, so um, from... From my studies and research, it seemed to me, it seems to me that um, over the last, I don't know, 100, a couple hundred years, it seems, that Jesus as revealer, that, that has been a focus, and and there is good support for that. Like, it seems to me, undoubtedly, for John, Jesus is the revealer who reveals God and how to live in relationship with God and, and Jesus as the divine Son of the Father and so on, but um, in portraying Jesus' mission and soteriology, in framing it that way, I think it's, it's, it's um, prioritized mental perception to the detriment, or, and I say this in the book, to the detriment or even exclusion of kind of the embodied reality of salvation and eternal life, which involves things like ethics, which we kind of get into in the book, things like bodily illness and infirmity and what um, even disability might look like for John and kind of like the social embeddedness of salvation, you might say. Yeah. Not for John. I, I know this is a little bit on the fly, uh, but you mentioned the last like hundred years or so. Would you say that before then, like previously, it had a different focus like Johannine soteriology? Um, well, so I'm not as familiar with that, but I do know, you know, in, in going back to Boltmann and then in bef uh, before him, mm -hmm. a Johannine scholar named Scott, uh, at the turn, I believe, of the 19th century, he was, you know, he, you can trace it, I'm sure, farther back than that, Jesus as the revealer. Um, but I do think it's become, it seems to me, from what I'm gleaning it, um, and what I've, what I've found, that Jesus as a as the revealer for John, I think that that has be, uh, been prioritized perhaps more than it was prior to interpreters such as those, such as um, Holman and Scott and others. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Yeah, so let's then move on to chapter two, which in it you tackle the prologue in John, and in that prologue, especially how key themes within John's narrative summarize the gospel as a whole. How do your findings relate then to, say, like Jesus's mission, which is a, a large part of that chapter? Yeah. So, um, so you know, and think you know, sin is kind of a big component of the dissertation, or of the of the book, of the dissertation, and then the book. Um, and sin had been kind of understood in light of, again, Jesus as the revealer. So it was kind of like, um, and also perhaps in light of um, John's supposed dualism, right? So you would have unbelievers and believers, light and darkness, life and death, and so on. So it seems like salvation was also kind of understood within that, within Jesus' mission as revelation, but then also within these dualistic kind of framework. So... Um, in chapter two, we do look at light and darkness. We also look at life and death. Um, and um, that relates to, to sin and the human predicament because if, as has been um, at least implied in scholarship, 
that if sin is just unbelief, then sometimes sin is talked about as kind of arising with Jesus's advent and um, human behavior, um, ethics, uh, what people do was not perhaps uh, a focus for John in terms of before Jesus's advent. So it kind of uh, chapter one kind of get, gets at darkness as a problem prior to Jesus' advent for John. This seems to be implied for John, that the light comes into the darkness. The darkness um, seems to be assumed to have to have gripped the world as a whole, not merely um, certain human beings, but, but human beings as a whole, the world as a whole. This preceded Jesus' advent, and this relates to what human beings do and how they live in relationship with God and others. So um, talking about the darkness in that way and then relating that aspect of the human predicament also to sin, I think then uh, shows sin to be a problem that preceded Jesus' advent and that uh, that way of living uh, calls forth, it seems, uh, for John, it calls forth Jesus' advent uh, to, to uh, be a solution to that part of the problem. So we, we talk, we look at uh, chapter two, we look at um, darkness as preceding Jesus' advent and as relating to, um, uh, it, uh, we talk, uh, or I look at in the book, um, specifically John three, where um, Jesus talks about, is uh, talk, John talks about the light coming into the world um, and, uh, you know, the darkness leading uh, human beings to reject the light because their works were evil. So, um, so they're getting at, again, what, what people do and how they live, um, seeming to be a problem uh, that, that salvation for John addresses in and through Jesus. Um, so, yeah. Great, yes. And that is... Does that, the, does that get at that enough, you I, think? I do, yeah, absolutely. Because within um, the way that the the prologue then lays out those themes and kind of um, the conceptions of those dualities in Jesus's mission. He addresses like those dualities through the way that he accomplishes that mission and, and why he has come. And so I think that that's helpful as we continue to move through this book. Um, and then we come to John chapter five, where you focus on uh, verses one through 29 and the topics of illness or bodily infirmity and then disability and death appear. And yeah, and I'd love for you to kind of speak on a little bit how you think that they can tell us about what Jesus's salvation is. So we, we've talked a little about his advent and, and why he has come. And now here, um, maybe you could help us understand what that salvation now entails. Yeah. So, and, um, in the third chapter, which focuses on John 5, this kind of was getting at some of the aspects of kind of uh, finding John to present salvation as an embodied reality and also a, a socially embedded reality. So, um, you know, John, uh, John portrays Jesus as healing people on more than one occasion, uh, people with, with what we would talk about today as uh, illnesses, and then also people with what we would today talk about as uh, physical disability. So it seemed that because Jesus on more than one occasion is reaching out to people in these circumstances and um, either healing 
the man uh, with a disabling illness in John 5. And then also in the chapter, we get to uh, the man born blind in John 9. Since Jesus is reaching out to these people and delivering them from their circum circumstances, it seemed to me um, important to think through the think through that and how that might relate to um, John's presentation of salvation. Um, and um, you know, in, in thinking back to the previous chapter and Jesus' mission, um, we also in that chapter we also talk about life and that Jesus comes and and to embody life, I think, for John. Um, he makes life, as uh, an early church father says, an accomplished fact for human beings. And so um, I think that if we take that seriously in, in Jesus making, uh, become, making the divine way of living, making that flesh for human beings, um, I think that that also gets that kind of that, that, uh, that embodied nature of the life that Jesus brings, which then also, again, takes us to think of questions like illness and disability and death. So um, um, in, in chapter uh, three, uh, with the man with the disabling illness, um, I kind of trace not only this scene, but other scenes in John's gospel, specifically this one, though, where Jesus brings about healing for those suffering from bodily infirmity and that this in doing so uh, it's um seems to me to be portrayed that that illness and bodily bodily infirmity are a problem uh that jesus addresses that that salvation addresses for john as is disability in certain respects one being um that uh disability is a problem insofar as it is a product of illness or bodily infirmity Secondly, that disability is a problem in terms of the social environment in which people with disability, uh, disabilities live, and that disability is not just um, an, an individual affair, but, but involves, it is a communal reality, uh, and uh, one's experience of that is uh, determined to a great extent by the environment, the, the social environment in which they live. Hmm. Um, and then... Uh, also in this chapter, looking at death and how death, because um, John goes, or Jesus goes on in chapter five to speak about the father and son's uh, unified intention to deliver human beings from death. And so we, I kind of look at death and what, what is death for John? And um, I talk about death involving, uh, you know, death having different aspects, one being bodily, the bodily end of life, but then also death as a way of living um, in relationship with God and others. And that when Jesus, um, when, when, you know, in John five, when, when Jesus says those uh, uh, believers have passed from death into life, it seems that um, it gets, it gets complicated again, because death has some different aspects to it, but it seems like death is a way of life that Jesus calls human beings out of. And that for John, all human beings evidently were dead before coming to believe in Jesus because those who come to believe in him have passed from death into life. And so they move uh, in their trajectory, you might say, or in their path, um, their, their, the, uh, the outcome or the, the end of that path changes as they, can, as they now move from the path of death or the path of darkness into the path of light and life in following Jesus and becoming children of light. Um, 
or children of God. Um, uh, and then in this chapter also, we look at Jesus as kind of the, uh, again, making life an accomplished fact in the sense that he, he is risen from the dead. And John seems to say on more than one occasion that his resurrection is the basis and source of the resurrection for all those who live and believe in him. So um, Jesus is, again, kind of accomplishing that life to which um, others come to, you might say, participate in through living and believing in him. Uh, I think I kind of jumped around there a little bit, but I think that that might get at that question. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've been taking notes and now I have like 10 more questions, but it's okay. It's okay. This, that was so, that was Hopefully so helpful. That's somewhat coherent. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Um, could, since we kind of tapped a little bit into that, um, that corporate nature of how we participate in Jesus's resurrection, the life he came um, to give those who are believers um, would you mind speaking just a tiny bit about how theosis and, and that kind of line of argumentation fits in with, with the book? Yeah. So, um, so initially I was interested in, um, thinking about how theosis might illumine John's presentation of salvation, how that might help us to see some things, uh, that we wouldn't see without bringing that type of question to John. So um, I, uh, theosis is kind of in the background. It's kind of, it, it kind of uh, shapes, you might say, my, re- my readerly perspective in the sense that it informs some of the questions that I'm asking. And I, pretty, I think I pretty much make that clear, um, especially in chapter one, because uh, I, I do, I explicitly bring Christian theology into the conversation in the sense that while scholarship has read John, uh, at least more recently, um, salvation and John from a certain, with a certain frame of reference, um, I think theosis and some other, some Christian theological traditions would push back on that. And, and um, theosis is interesting because it has arisen, at least in part, from the church's reading and reflection on the Gospel of John. So um, that in and of itself, I think, makes it very pertinent to uh, thinking about and reading and interpreting Salvation in John, especially because it's offering a different perspective that seems to have arisen, again, in part from the church's reading of John. So um, so I kind of hold theosis uh, in mind as, as informing some of the questions that I am bringing. Um, and so... So that, I I think, leads me to wonder about, at least initially it did, wonder about salvation as a process for John, salvation as kind of, again, an embodied reality, uh, a socially embedded reality involving not just a personal relationship with God, but uh, personal in the sense that involving others, like a a communal, more communal reality of life and relationship with God and others. Um, So, yeah, so... Um, theosis kind of informs again a lot of the questions, and uh, so and I, dr- I end up drawing on a lot of uh, patristic authors, church fathers, um, because they will they will read their they um, like Irenaeus uh, of Lyon and Maximus the Confessor, Athanasius. Um, they'll read John 
well, well, we'll see them reading John in a way that is explaining or supporting or um, supplanting, explaining or supporting what is called the Christian doctrine of theosis. So um, I kind of want to take that that perspective and again use it to inform kind of the questions that I'm asking with respect to Jesus' mission, with respect to what salvation looks like in John, with respect to what life, eternal life might look like, and then the human predicament, um, which again, in scholarship, it's it's been talked about as something kind of resolved in a moment of decision, which prioritizes our mental perception, but not so much um, the embodied reality of eternal life and it's socially, uh, the relational, relationally embeddedness, you might say, of of life. At least that you know that raises the question in my mind, which then I found, I think, uh, in John texts that support that kind of understanding of salvation. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That that was really helpful. Thank you for that. Um, so, within this conversation, then maybe to just kind of hit it home you end by turning to the topic of sin and its effects. So how does John in your argument portray what's wrong with humanity? Yeah. So I think, I think it, it could be summed up as a a way of living, a way of living, a way of life in relationship with God and others. Um, And I think Jesus is the embodiment. He's the, um, he makes that way of living, you might say the divine way of living in certain respects, in certain respects. He makes that human and that uh, in doing so, he offers the, the solution to the human predicament, which is, again, you could sum it up, I think, as a way of living. Jesus says in John, you know, I am the way and the truth and the life. And if we see Jesus as that way, that way of living in relationship with God and others, then that... Um, then he becomes the measure and the point of reference uh, by which we live in relationship with God and others. And we, and we um, follow him in that way. And I think you, uh, I think you could make the case in John by what John says about the spirit that we can, we begin to participate in that through the spirit and through the, the coming of the Jesus, you know, Jesus, as he says in uh, John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, uh, he will keep my word and, and my father will love him and we will come to them and we will make our home with them. It's a translation, but um, the idea of Jesus, father and son, as well as the spirit coming to indwell, indwell believers, you might say. And through that, I think uh, participating in the life that Jesus makes an accomplished fact that he makes human, that he makes flesh. And so seeing, seeing the human predicament then as a way of living, that is then uh, uh, kind of, um, set in relief by, by Jesus' way of living. Um, so then, you know, it calls into question sin, for example, because sin is, again, often has been defined in John as unbelief and as completely the problem of sin being resolved when, comes, when one comes to believe in Jesus, which then makes it, um, it raises questions about, well, if sin is unbelief and it's the problem of sin is resolved, when one enters into belief, then what about ethics in John? You know, and that's that's a that's a question that's been you know um, been a focus in the last you know 
10, 10 to 20 years, I guess. Um, pushing back on the idea that John has no ethics or that John doesn't care about ethics. Um, but then that relates to sin in the sense that, well, if, if John does care and if, and if they do relate to salvation for John, what does that look like um, in terms of um, how we think about salvation? Does, it, does salvation for John relate to what we do and to how we live in relationship with God and others? I, I think I make the case that it does. Um, and so, uh, in, so in this chapter, the uh, text of great importance becomes um, really the first time that sin is talked about in some in some terms uh, in somewhat in depth is in John eight, where um, Jesus is speaking with his fellow Jews, and uh, a group of Jews are said, a group of the Jews that he is speaking with are said to come to believe in him, and that's repeated. And then um, Jesus responds to them by talking a little bit about sin, and he reveals that uh, there's that they are in slavery to sin. And then the, the discourse, you know, gets quite heated very quickly. And it's it's a difficult text to interpret, but I think for various reasons that um, typically how that passage has been interpreted is either. Uh, when Jesus starts to talk about slavery to sin, uh, the people, the Jews, his fellow Jews that he's speaking with are understood to um, be different people from the ones that have been said to believe in verse 30, or uh, their belief is defined as um, not belief. It's not real. It's not genuine or authentic. But I, I don't think that that actually does justice to the passage. Um, for various reasons, a couple because the people are said to have believed in Jesus, and then Jesus's response to them assumes, it seems to assume that they do believe in him as he's beginning to talk with them about their slavery to sin. And then I think that there, uh, you can make the case, and I do briefly, that in John, belief uh, is not black and white. Um, and and Susan Hyland has a good book on that. Um, she investigates that. Uh, showing how even for Jesus' disciples, they they exempt, they illustrate or demonstrate what might be termed to be imperfect belief. Um, you know, Peter, of course, or uh, how Jesus interacts with some of his disciples in the farewell discourse. And then in chapter two, there are a group of uh, evidently Jesus' fellow Jews who come to believe in him, but yet there's still a problem. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't trust himself to them because he knows what what is in them. And so there, there again seems to be a problem. Uh, belief seems to be something of a process. Uh, and um, one of the points that I think is important is that even, I think one could say, well, it's a process for John. Belief is a process, at least until, you know, after Jesus' resurrection. But even then, Jesus talks about the Spirit coming to teach and to lead believers, to guide believers into the truth. And that language of leading or guiding seems to me to imply not an instantaneous transformation, but a process uh, by which believers are led into the truth, which Jesus says is liberative in John 8. And you will come to know the truth and the truth will set you free. That seems to be a process spoken of there, as well as later in the farewell discourse when Jesus talks about the spirit leading and guiding believers into the truth. Um, so seeing liberation from sin then in light of John 8 and some other passages as a process, and sin then as not unbelief, 
and is not resolved in the moment one comes to believe in Jesus, according to John. And so again, that kind of getting at salvation for John as a process, salvation involving what one does and how one lives in relationship with God and others. Um, and again, very much uh, being important to all of that, Jesus, Jesus' own life, the life that he lives in John, the life that he makes flesh and makes human. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that um, gets at enough of that question. Yeah, I, I really think it does. I, I appreciate that so much. There's so much behind that topic of what sin is in, in the, the gospel of John and especially like how believers are called and how it relates to ethics. And yeah, I just so appreciate you taking the time, Dr. Souza, to talk with us today. I, I love this. I was just looking at the conclusions and reflections. Um, you write that salvation consists of a process of bodily renewal and transformation whereby believers come to resemble God in the way they live. Central to this soteriological perspective is the contention that Jesus, in and through his life, death, and resurrection, fulfills the vocation to which all human beings are called. I just, yeah, I so appreciate this book. To all of our listeners out there, um, I think you need to grab this one. It's a, a recent work, and especially for those who are interested in Johannan studies and uh, soteriology and even harmontiology, there there's just lots of different topics that I think um, converge in this work. So thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to us. Thanks again for having me. It was fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And uh, for all of our listeners, until next time, this has been New Books and Biblical Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Jonathan Wright, your host. Take care.